Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the September 28th, 2021 episode of Unchained. My book, The Cryptopians, Idealism, Greed, Lies, and the Making of the First Big Cryptocurrency Craze is available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any of your favorite bookstores. Go to bit.ly slash cryptopians. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-I-A-N-S and pre-order today. Ledger is the secure gateway to buy, exchange, and grow your crypto. No need to use different platforms to manage and secure your crypto. You have one place for all your crypto needs. Visit ledger.com and make your crypto journey easier and safer. The crypto.com app lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins. Paid weekly. Download the crypto.com app and get $25 with the code Laura. The link is in the description. Looking for crypto market data that meets institutional standards? Digital Asset Research delivers curated and vetted crypto market data. Get crypto pricing and verified volume data, crypto asset reference data, and token and blockchain event tracking. Learn more at digitalassetresearch.com. Today's guest is Fareshta Faro, founder and CEO of Code to Inspire, a coding school for girls in Afghanistan. Welcome, Fareshta. Thank you so much, Laura, for having me. So regular listeners to the show will remember that Fareshta was mentioned in an interview I did with Steve Ehrlich of Forbes, and people were interested in hearing more about her and more about real-world use cases of crypto. So Fareshta, thank you so much for joining us, especially because world news in recent months has had a direct impact on you and your family. But before we get into those recent events, why don't we start with your personal story as a refugee and how you became a computer science professor? Absolutely. Um, well, I was born as a refugee in Iran during the Soviet invasion to Afghanistan. My parents are originally from Herat. It's a city in west of Afghanistan, very mountainous and beautiful, and one of the main cities that the heart of the ancient Silk Road was passing through the city. Unfortunately, my parents, the same as a lot of other people in Afghanistan, has to leave the country and find a safe haven for their children. I was born in a very small town um, close to Iran and Afghanistan border. I grew up in a big family, eight children. I'm the fifth one. So you can imagine I'm not the oldest and I'm not the youngest. So I kind of like, I think, grew up independent. And I think that's really uh, shaped my character. Uh, certainly being born, you know, as a refugee, grew up as a refugee. Um, it's a lot of um, you know, issues that you're facing. Uh, not only the discriminations that you're facing with um, because you're just indifferent. And unfortunately, sometimes people look at you as an unwanted guest 
and they think that you're here to steal the opportunities from them. Um, and that makes it very difficult for you to blend into the community. And then the financial aspects of it, being a refugee, you will be denied access to certain uh, basic and fundamental rights in the um, country that you're in, such as opening bank accounts, um, accessing education in a school. And um, that was one of the big issues that we were facing with my family. And I remember that my mom uh, learned how to stitch and make dresses. And by selling them, she could bring money to the family and she could invest in our education. So I guess from the very early age, I learned to be entrepreneur and how uh, you can start great things with empty hands. And that's what I learned from my mom. And I know the value of education and how it is important. Uh, we moved to Afghanistan one year after the fall of Taliban, uh, when the U.S. invaded Afghanistan in 2002 um, to Herat. Um, and I applied for university entrance. And by chance and randomly, I got into computer science. That was certainly not my favorite field of study. And um, my family really encouraged me to, um, to, to continue because they said it's the future. It's something that we think can help you a lot. Um, and I continued studying computer science. I got my bachelor from Herat University, and then I received a scholarship. I went to Germany, and I got my master's in computer science from Technical University of Berlin. Went back and taught as a computer science professor for about three years in Herat University. Um, so certainly, I guess, my life story as a refugee, being denied access to education, and as a woman studying computer science and teaching computer science in Herat and Afghanistan, the discrimination, the backlashes I faced, the verbal sexual harassments in the working and educational space that I face and a lot of women um, made me to think about how I can change the situation for women, especially in technology sector. And that's how it led me to establish code to inspire as the first coding school for girls in Afghanistan, January 2015. And tell us what Code to Inspire does. So with Code to Inspire, there's three important pillars of the work. First, we provide an only um, a single gender school, you know, only for women and girls so that the family feel comfortable sending their daughters to our school. Second, we offer the school for free because a lot of the girls come from a challenging financial backgrounds. And the third, which is the most important pillar of the work, is um, we offer certain technical skills that can be translated either into job opportunities within the community in Afghanistan, or we can outsource projects to them so the students can work remotely, or they can be entrepreneur and um, create their own company and startups and hire more women um, since 2015. We've educated more than 350 students in our coding classes, such as uh, game design, um, web development, mobile, and also blockchain, cryptocurrency, and graphic design class. Um, with our graduates, the data that we have, uh, well, pre-Taliban, unfortunately, since a month ago, 60 to 70 percent of our students are found job within the community and they're getting paid some of them above average income salary, which is $150 per month in Afghanistan. We've outsourced more than 40 projects worth of $30,000 to our students and a group of our 
graduates, about 10% of them, they created their own startups, raised funds, and hired more women. And our school, again, pre-Taliban, um, was a physical location in Herat, full-time for our students, and the classes were being taught in person. And so um, give us a sense of kind of what girls' education and opportunities are in Afghanistan, um, aside from this school, like, you know, if, if they don't have this kind of opportunity, then what does that look like for them? Well, there are certainly a lot of challenges and, and, and issues, not only right now, which is a whole different story with the Taliban taking over Afghanistan, but even in past, um, infrastructure is a big issue. Um, if you talk about big cities, um, still there's lack of uh, buildings, staff and teachers and resources for students, especially female schools, um, the lack of equipments, you know, like having laptops, internet connections, and the commute would be a big issue for the girls to leave their house, especially the ones who live far away from the school. If you leave the big cities um, in rounding and especially in villages, um, you won't have um, facility for that. You may have access to primary or maybe secondary education, but you don't have high school just because, again, the population is financially um, underserved. There's not a lot of um, resources for them, such as schools, buildings, and the families won't feel comfortable, you know, sending their daughters to travel a long way to go to the next big city to get the education. So the lack of um, resources and um, infrastructure really is a big issue to access equal education, especially for uh, girls and women. And then the spot, and then beside that, of course, uh, the cultural, the patriarchal society and, and the extremists make it very difficult for the girls to access education. Um, um, sometimes uh, families um, become under the influence, you know, of the extremist and won't let their daughter to continue education. Uh, forced marriages, early marriages are uh, one of the important factors that the girls drop from school because once they get married, the fiancé or the husband won't let them to continue education. And of course, again, financial issues. Not a lot of family can invest in extracurricular activities. They prefer to invest on the boys' education because they think that the boy is going to be the future breadwinner, not the girl. So they prefer to send the boy to the school, not the girl. Um, so these are some of the main important factors of why girls' education would be very difficult, not only in cities, but also in areas outside of the city for um, Afghanistan. Can you maybe give some examples of kind of what risks girls face when they do try to seek out an education? Yes. Well, definitely the backlashes, you know, and the threats they face from either their family members or the community. A lot of times, maybe the male members of the family, relatives, would be against the education. And if they raise their voice, they may face threats. It can be um, uh, threats such as like, you know, um, they, they hit them, you know, violence against women. They lock them at home or the extreme way of like extremists burn the schools for girls. We do have incidents of, you know, extremists and the Taliban burning girls' schools. And that's make the family feel so scared and uncomfortable to risk the lives of the girls to, you know, send them to school. Even like um, trying to do the commute from one location to another location, they may be abducted, you know, by unknown people. So these are like 
serious uh, concerns that make it very difficult sometimes for families to, even if they want to send their daughters to school, won't be feel, uh, feel comfortable to do that. And so since founding Code to Inspire, what impact have you seen it have? So um, there is a lot of inspiring stories, you know, and great stories of the girls who came to the school and graduated. Um, I can say a majority um, of the girls who joined our coding school didn't have access to internet connections. They didn't have laptops, even basic phones. So they were totally living in an offline world. And with the um, infrastructure and equipments we provided for them, that was certainly a very life-changing, not only um, looking at the educational aspects of it, but all the fi- financial aspects of it. These are the girls who came to school. They were so shy. They really didn't believe in themselves. They didn't have self-esteem. And we encouraged them, you know, building um, um, their own life around what they're learning and be outspoken and raise their voice. And no one would question them. And we see that, like, their self-esteem boosted. They now have social media accounts and uh, you know, write about their activities. I give you one example of one of our graduates. She came to the school when she was um, in 10th grade. And when we interviewed her, was like, why well, you want to join this coding school? And she said, I want to make money. And we were like, that's great. There's, uh, you know, nothing wrong with making money. And she came from a very financial challenging background. She even couldn't pay for the commute, but she was so motivated that we sponsored her commute, gave her a laptop to take home, and once she graduated, she was one of the top graduates. And one day she texted me and she said, you can't believe what I say that I convinced a company that they're all, they're all men, that I can make a website for you and take your business online. And they agreed and they're going to pay me $200. So I was like, wow, you're, you know, <laughs> such a badass, like, at, you know, like such young age to convince, you know, the companies and men to give you an opportunity. And now you are bringing money to the family, which makes you to have a voice in the family and be a part of decision-making process in the family. Um, And we have tons of stories like that. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, um, do you feel that uh, the experience that the girls have, that it changes attitudes either in their family or in their communities or or does the existence of the school in general, has that had an, an impact in changing attitudes? Absolutely. You know, when we started a program and we were kind of like posting in our social media about our activities, a lot of people, especially men, very educated, even some computer science uh, men, they're like, oh, like that's useless what they're learning. They're going to get married. They're going to like, you know, go to the house, clean the kitchen, make babies and stuff like that. And um, it was so offensive because they couldn't see that, you know, there is a path to financial freedom with what we are trying to do. And um, after a year or so, when we have graduates and we help them, you know, with uh, uh, jobs um, and giving them opportunities, they brought the money to the family. And some of them actually made double or triple than the men in the family. And the family couldn't believe that the girl of the family is capable of doing something that the boy of the family is not. And they called us, they start calling us, the father, the brother, the husbands came, checked the school, and they said, we can't believe, we see that she's behind the computer, she's doing something, but and we have no idea, but she's bringing money to the family. 
And they started calling the relatives and other people and encouraged their daughter to join in a school. And we received calls from others. So it became very organic once people realized that there's a value on investing education and the cause being able to bring money to the family. That's, that's great. Yeah. I mean, just when you were talking earlier, you know, it's such a contrast. If I think about growing up here in the U.S., like there's no question that you would send a girl to school. So, um, you know, what you're saying is, is, is just very eye opening for somebody who grew up here. But one other thing I found fascinating was I have seen a video about Code to Inspire where the girls were making video games and the protagonist or the player in the game, they made it as an Afghan girl. And then the video showed that there were Afghan boys playing this game. And I just wondered, um, how do you think things like that have also changed perceptions of girls in Afghanistan? Absolutely. So like beside education, we also want to change the perspective of community towards girls' education and empowerment. And uh, we've been creating different games and apps that they're geared towards certain uh, problem in the community. And one of them was um, the Afghan Hero Girl game that you're referring to. Um, I remember we had a brainstorming session with our students in game class and we we're kind of like, okay, what would be the next game? And then they're like, you know, like we're kind of like tired of seeing all these like superheroes in the game are first mainly men. And we see that they're just like, um, targeting certain geographical, you know, a population. There is very less uh, female superhero and also like uh, from Afghanistan or from a Muslim country. So then we are like, okay, um, what about we create our own superhero? And then they create that the Afghan hero girl wearing traditional outfit um, and going through different stages. And um, it was certainly an eye-opening experience for us too. We couldn't believe that the game would have... Um, such a good uh, feedback. I mean, we have uh, thousands of downloads, hundreds of comments, and they're all men who are giving us the comments that, oh, what if, if you, you know, put the error here? Or what if, if you add this function? So like, it's great to see that they're engaged. And when the little girls were playing that game, they were like, oh, I want to be a superhero like Heron. And um, I want to, you know, like uh, have that power. And I think that's very, very empowering and important in such a young age when they see a role model and a superhero that they can be that person. So at a certain point, Code to Inspire began adopting crypto. How did you guys start using it and why? So with the cryptocurrency, that's interesting. I get to know about it uh, late 2013, I think early 2014. And that was again because of work that I was doing with Afghanistan sending payments. And it was certainly a big issue just, you know, with the bank system requiring a lot of paperwork and takes a lot of time and all the KYC. And of course, it's Afghanistan. So people are kind of like um, giving you more hard time when you deal with Afghanistan, especially, I guess, with a financial issue. Um, the Western Union also, we tried, but it was very costly with the fees that we were had to pay. And those fees were a lot. 10 to $15 would be you know, uh, covering a family for a couple of days to have food on their table. And then PayPal is not operating in Afghanistan. So that was also like not an option for us. And a lot of the uh, people who were sending money, the girls were underage, so they didn't have a bank account. So these issues were very uh, time consuming, very, you know, dealing with a lot of paperwork. And, and it was frustrating at some point. 
And that's how I learned about cryptocurrency and that time, of course, Bitcoin and how fascinating is the technology that like very fast without any third party and so secure, you can just like send directly money to the girls and they can have it. And um, since then, I get to know more about the technology itself and then how we can help the girls. And we started sending crypto to Afghanistan. Um, and then with Code to Inspire, particularly, we started teaching, you know, blockchain technologies, smart contracts, solidity, decentralized apps to our students. And actually, as of this week, um, five of our students are part of the Consensus Academy, which we're very excited. Um, so hopefully they will finish the course and it will be a great uh, experience for them. And then with the organization itself, we do accept crypto as, um, of, um, as donation since 2015. And I can say probably we are one of the very early organization who accepted crypto as donation, but also keep holding it. Um, so that hopefully down the road, we can use, you know, um, it for more powerful and like um, help more population in Afghanistan. And then also sending. Um, since January, we totally, we used to send on and off, but since this January, we only are sending crypto to Afghanistan for our monthly operation. And recently for the care uh, package cash assistance that we are helping our students who are losing jobs and their family. So it's amazing. It's like, um, it's unbelievable how this technology can help in such a critical moment where the banks are closed, the Western Union has limited services, and nothing is working in Afghanistan. And we are probably, again, one of the very only organizations and peoples who are using it in such a large scale. Wow. So I have so many questions about this. Um, but initially, when you started describing how you first began using crypto, was that um, to make payments to the girls for gigs that they did, or was it to um, like fund your operations, like accepting donations, or like what what was that uh, initial pur- purpose for using the crypto at that time? A combination of both, but mainly for the girls who were using, you know, worked for the remote work, and we wanted to like send it quicker to them. Oh, I see. And so then once you receive that money, and I'm sure this has changed over time. But how are you turning that into Afghanis, which is the local currency? Yeah, that's a great question. It was so difficult at the beginning because um, at the beginning, we kind of had to like act as an exchange ourselves because no one knew about it. So we would, you know, if you send the crypto to the girls and they wanted to cash out, they would come to us and we give them cash. But then um, we found, uh, you know, there's a, a financial district in Herat that they people do money exchange, they exchange Afghanis to dollar, euro and vice versa. And then since kind of like in November last year, we were like, OK, it's too complicated and we're done with all this, you know, like third party and paperwork and everything is just like too much. And let's see how we can work it out. And then we start investigating and then we found some people in the financial districts of Herat that they said, yes, we can exchange crypto for you. And then we start in a smaller scale, you know, just building a trustworthy relationship with them and see how it works. And it worked so great for us that now that one person is actually about three or four people 
So now there are more people who do that. So what we do, we send crypto from our wallet to our team wallet um, in Afghanistan. And then they go to the exchange and they convert it to mainly US dollar. And then um, we distribute the cash among the team, pay for, you know, rent, utility. And also, again, recently uh, for the cash assistance for our students. Oh, so they're actually turning into U.S. dollars. And then I guess later on, they when they need the money, then they put it into Afghanis or something. Is that? Yes, yes. Oh. Then they can go to any money exchange there and convert their dollar to Afghani if they want. And um, for those individual sellers that you are trading with, are they associated with any of those kind of, um, you know, uh, Craigslist style sellers like local Bitcoins or Paxful or... Or are they just kind of like independent uh, people that offer this service? They're independent people that they offer the services. Oh, interesting. And and do you do you know? I mean, other than Code to Inspire, how popular uh, you know crypto is in Afghanistan, or what other people are using it for, if any? To be honest with you, I think since last uh, winter. The, 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 the crypto got more momentum in Afghanistan and we did have a lot of people who reached out to me either from colleagues or either non-profits who reached out and they said, oh, like, we see that, like, you do a lot of crypto. Can you give us a little bit of, like, how it works? We're interested, you know, to explore that because, again, of the financial um, difficulties we are facing. And they connect some of them to this, you know, money exchange person that we know and trust. Um, so I see, and even recently, a couple of weeks ago, again, because of the humanitarian crisis that's happening in Afghanistan with everything and the, the, the bank closed and the Western Union, more nonprofits reaching out to me, humanitarian aids reach out to me and ask how we are handling it. And I'm kind of like, you know, putting them in touch with the people that we know. And hopefully, you know, that actually would be a way that like it opens the door for cryptocurrency to be adopted more. Huh. This is just so interesting. And so for the community around your school, like the girls and their families and, and, you know, people just who know generally about Code to Inspire, what would you say that their perception is of cryptocurrency now because of all this? So first of all, it was very unknown to them. They are like, what is this? I can't touch it. It's like you say over internet, you know, <laughs> it's, it's very difficult. They were like, is it a scam? Or do you want to like scam us? <laughs> People had a lot of, you know, different thoughts about this. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hear them because like they used to like do all these old system of only keeping cash under their pillows and how they like, you know, kind of like save their money. So when you go and tell them, you know, it's money over internet, they kind of like, and, and especially when they don't have um, a basic digital literacy, then that would be more difficult to talk to them about this. But then once we started, you know, sending to our own team as an example and how they used it, you know, for their own, we could pay for our rent. And then we start sending the cash assistance to our students. And now the family is getting it. Now, when people at the end of the day, they see the cash, they understand what's the workflow of it, but also like how it is important, the privacy aspect of it, how you can control your money. Because in geographical um, as, uh, locations like Afghanistan, that it's always been on conflict, war, and, uh, you know, the political system change a lot. And each of them come and they have their own agenda. 
it really difficult to trust in the uh, centralized system, the banks and the governments, because you don't know what kind of regulations they bring. And then, for example, even right now, uh, a lot of people have to who who left Afghanistan who got the evacuation. Majority of them left their bank account behind, and they don't know if they can access that bank account anytime soon. You know, God knows how much money they have it, but they had a decent amount of number. You know, and to to be able to you know carry your finance with yourself outside of the conflict zone. That's a very big lesson that a lot of people are learning. And I think crypto will change that and help the people to to realize that it's important to be as much as independent, especially if you're living in a conflict zone. Wow. Yeah, this is so interesting that you're saying all this because, you know, I feel like um, there's uh, for the longest time in the crypto industry, there's been this ideal, like, idealistic notion that crypto will help the unbanked. And at least here in the U.S., it doesn't seem to have happened to a great extent. So, um, you know, I, I'm glad to hear that people uh, seem to be benefiting from that in Afghanistan. Um, but, you know, I just want to get a sense, like, do you still feel that it's not very widespread and it's just kind of like a small number of people in the know? Or do you feel like, you know, it's kind of like something that people are hearing about quickly? Yeah, it's not really still widespread, but I guess like within the international community and people who are sending aids to Afghanistan, that's something that they are in investigating and are open to explore because they all of a sudden faced a blockage of like sending aids to Afghanistan. And they also like don't want to send the money to the banks with this situation. So they want to like, they're exploring ways that firsthand send the money to the people who are in need. And that's the only way. So that's great to see that now the international community and the aides are looking at crypto as a way to, you know, how fast and secure they can send funds instead of relying and sending money to the banks and to the government, I can say. All right. So in a moment, we're going to talk a little bit more about the effect of the withdrawal from Afghanistan of U.S. troops has had there. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Does your firm need rigorously vetted crypto market data that's aligned with the latest regulatory standards? Since 2017, Digital Asset Research has delivered high-quality crypto data to institutional clients like FTSE Russell and Bloomberg. Digital Asset Research offers clean crypto asset prices and verifiable volume data that's calculated from highly vetted sources, crypto asset reference data, and an events calendar that tracks token and blockchain events like hard forks, soft forks, and client and application updates. Crypto data from Digital Asset Research is available through Refinitiv or directly at digitalassetresearch.com. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. If you're a hodler, Crypto.com Earn pays industry-leading interest rates on over 30 coins, including Bitcoin, at up to 8.5% interest and up to 14% interest on your stable coins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly and gives you 100% rebate for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. There is no annual or monthly fees to worry about. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 when using the code LAURA, L-A-U-R-A. The link is in the description. 
Ledger is the secure gateway to buy, exchange, and grow your crypto. What you need is a Ledger hardware wallet, which combined with the Ledger Live app, gives you access to all your favorite crypto services and dApps from one place. All that with some of the best security. No need to use different platforms to manage and secure your crypto. You have one place for all your crypto needs. Visit ledger.com and make your crypto journey easier and safer. Back to my conversation with Fareshta. So you've kind of been alluding to the impact that the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan has had there. Um, but, you know, right now, you know, for for all that you described about Code to Inspire, what is the situation now? Is the school functioning? You know, what has happened to the girls and their families, et cetera? Well, the situation on the ground, it's certainly very devastating, not only because a humanitarian crisis is happening right now. Um, banks are closed. There's no job. Economy is uh, falling apart. You know, a lot of people are dealing with hunger and even they don't have uh, money to like, you know, cover basic necessities. And that's what we are also like dealing with our students and their families who about 80 of them reached out to me and they said they have even not having the bread at home. And it's very difficult because majority of them lost jobs and especially women. But despite the humanitarian crisis, of course, education, which is a fundamental human right, and everyone should access to education, no matter of their gender identity or any indifferences, um, is getting a lot of uh, backlashes uh, in Afghanistan. Since Afghanistan fallen to the Taliban, um, August 15, I can say that, you know, that was the first day that Herat, my city, after two weeks of resistance, um, captured by Taliban. And for me, watching the videos of Taliban walking to the city was very heartbreaking, tragic. I remember that day and for the next couple of days, I cried a lot because we couldn't believe that the, just things are unfolding so quickly like that. And all the work that they've done and everyone else have done this past 20 years uh, may be, you know, taken from us. And then unfortunately, within one week, so quickly, the entire Afghanistan, as of now, except Panjshir, um, got into uh, the influence of Taliban. And when people say Taliban 2.0, they changed. I don't think they changed because if they would change, the situation right now wouldn't be devastating like that. First of all, of course, we closed the school because we didn't want, you know, and we closed the school before, uh, even two weeks before when the attacks happened around the city because of the safety of our students. And the school is still closed because we don't know what's going to happen if we open the school in person, even though we are a single gender school. Um, and apparently Taliban shouldn't have issue with that. Um, regarding the education, while well, the Taliban allowed the girls to go to school only from first to sixth grade. And then uh, four days ago, they announced the first day back to school. And with their announcement, they only said the boys can go to school from first to 12th grade. So they let the boys from, you know, seventh grade to 12th grade and other private institutes, uh, religious school, go to school, uh, but not women. No girls from seventh to 12th grade are allowed to go to school still as of now. Um, and also the universities, they had conversation with the board of universities, uh, but they only had conversation with the male, you know, um, board and the professors and not women. Um, and they kind of like make an excuse that they say, oh, we're 
thinking about separation, you know, of the classes. But the high school of the girls in Afghanistan are already separated. You know, the school are separated. The building is separated. So why they don't let the girls go to school? Well, university, yes, there are mixed, there, there used to be mixed classes, but not the high school. And that's like what, you know, you can't trust them because they're not clear, you know, and they are, of course, you know, preventing girls go to school and um, the same as the university and also work. You know, we had like students who used to work in offices that, you know, they used to work and now they're not going there because they're not allowed to go. And they don't know if they can return to the offices and work. So it is a shame that all these millions of girls who had hopes, you know, who had dreams, and every day they go to school, now they're home and they don't know what's going to happen to them. And, um, and, and their future is not clear. Yeah, I saw you tweeted that girls there are texting you messages like, I am afraid for my life. I haven't eaten these past days and slept in different houses over nights for my safety. And I wondered, so this was from a few weeks ago and I wondered, has that changed at all? Do they, is, is the comfort level a little bit higher now or is, are, are the girls still living in a state of fear? Yes. I mean, definitely the girls are still living in a state of fear and trauma. I still, you know, receive messages from girls that they're like, uh, you know, I lost hope. I wanted to do this and that, but I don't think if there would be a possibility for me to have education outside of Afghanistan, will you help me? So I received a lot of emails and texts, not only from our students, but from people that I haven't met and they ask for help. And, and it's, again, so heartbreaking to see that a functioning government, and I don't uh, deny that there was corruption in the previous government, right? And there were still like people who were um, against women's education, work uh, and employment. It wasn't a perfect government, but at least it was functioning. My school was open and I could help the girls to get education, you know, and a lot of girls around Afghanistan could go to school. But with this government, it seems everything is closed only for women. And they just like totally ignoring half of the community and the society. So the girls are going through a lot of trauma. I mean, like we weren't able even to continue any of our classes virtual because they just like can't concentrate, you know. Some of them left the city with their family. They're in other cities. Some of them left the country. And some of them, you know, their house got shot by the Taliban or because of the explosion, they, you know, the house got destructed. So just, I can't imagine, you know, dealing with all that, you still, you know, have the motivation to continue and like, you know, have hope for your future. And so are you just kind of in an indefinite holding pattern with Code to Inspire or are, is there any um, sign that would kind of make you feel comfortable opening it again or, and, and also, um, you know, when you talked about how you can't do virtual classes, I didn't know how widespread internet would be in homes. So I didn't know, like, you know, is, is this something where they could kind of take these classes in their own homes or, or do the coding work in their own homes? Yes. Well, I mean, there's two possibilities here, right? I mean, maybe I would be able to keep the school open under certain rules and circumstances. And sure, why not? Because that space was a safe space for the girls. And they access a lot of um, resources 
And if that space can be open, um, and of course um, they would be safe, why not? I'll keep the school open and that would be great. But for whatever reason, if we wouldn't be able to keep the school open, of course, virtual is what we're going to pursue and do that. But within the next month or so, we hopefully have a better understanding of what's the agenda and how we can move forward. But absolutely, I will continue my work virtual. I make sure every girl has a laptop, internet connections at home. Um, we put all the content we have online and we help them to, you know, continue their classes the same as before, but virtual in a safe space at their home and then help them to find jobs, you know, uh, remotely, which right now we still have about like um, three clients that about eight of our students are still working, you know, and do their projects online, which kept them hopeful. And I think that's one thing that we will continue no matter what. Yeah, I did see that um, back in 2018, Code to Inspire did start a partnership with Bounties Network to allow the girls to collect bounties in ETH for fixing vulnerabilities in code. Um, is that something you're still doing? And if not, like, are there other ways that the crypto community or that blockchain technology generally um, can help in this situation? Yeah, that was actually a very exciting projects that we worked with. And we had some of our students get engaged to some small projects. Um, and it was great, you know. But right now, we, we're not that much involved. But it was certainly a great eye-opening experience for our students to work, you know, in such platforms and then get to know about crypto. And as of now, yes, I mean, we are trying to find people who want to help us with their skill and expertise. And if they can help us to create a very strong, you know, private, um, secure online platform, educational for our students. And then people who um, have experience teaching coding and help us with different, you know, set of programming languages um, to create videos so we can share with our students or want to be mentored, you know, and help our students with their codings. And with the companies, um, definitely, if they want to, you know, offer internship for our students, part-time, full-time projects and work, I mean, these are the opportunities that we would be able, you know, by giving a laptop and buying internet package for our students, help them to get motivated and continue what they do from the safety of their house. And there's also been a lot of talk and, and work on things like decentralized identity solutions or decentralized mesh networks for offering internet. Is that something that would be helpful in this situation at all? To be honest with you, I don't know what would be the Taliban, you know, agenda regarding the internet censorship. You know, I don't know if they, you know, going to censor or are they going to track people or, you know, what would be their, their agenda on that? Because, uh, for example, um, before like their attack to the Herat city, they actually bombed a main internet tower and electricity tower. And that actually was a huge damage to the entire Western region. Um, the whole city and the Western region were offline for a couple of weeks. And, you know, of course, with the work we do, and if it should be virtual, then that would be a big issue. Um, so I think it's just like, again, you know, depends on like how they interact with, you know, the, the, the infrastructure, if they're going to bring any damage, any censorship, any, you know, you know, tracking people. And these are like the factors and variables that we really want to, um, take into consideration and make it as private, encrypted, you know, safe for the girls even to have an online identity. Okay. But so, so far it sounds like 
um, the financial part of crypto is what has been most useful for your school? Yes. Okay. Well, so in that regard, one question I had is, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, that perhaps the cryptocurrencies that most people donate are Bitcoin and Ether, um, and they're also the most liquid. Um, but at the moment, or really for kind of a while now, they've both been experiencing somewhat high fees on the base layer chain. Um, does that affect you at all? Like I noticed today, the date we're recording that the fees, uh, the average transaction fee on Bitcoin is about $2.50. And for Ether today, it's like a little under $4. But a few days ago, it was high as $7. So um, I didn't know if that has affected you at all or if it, if it's not something that, you know, if it's something that the sellers don't really um, count. Yeah, they, they, we really don't haven't faced issues with that. And again, with the person who exchanged the crypto for us, even there, they don't charge us like a crazy amount. We want to make them happy and keep them happy to do business with us. So we pay a very small fee to them. But so far, no, we haven't been much influenced by that. And again, the fact that we are using this technology and in this situation, it's just like the best uh, tool that's just enabled us and helped us. So we are very happy with the way that we are managing our finance and sending money to Afghanistan. So from your perspective as somebody who does use crypto a lot in a very crucial way, are there any kind of like requests you would make to um, developers in the industry for tools or for, um, you know, certain types of technology that you feel would be useful or, or just anything you feel that entrepreneurs in the space could think about? Yes, I still think that, as you said, when we talk about crypto, when we say the notion of it was to help the unbanked and underserved communities, I think it's still probably a lot of the solutions that comes out. It's Again, it's former privileged people who do have access to bank, who do have credit cards or some sort of, you know, financial freedom and um, living in a more uh, relaxed community. So any solutions, especially for people who live in a constant conflict and, you know, uh, war and displacement, um, either to keep their identity private, to keep their, you know, documents private and that can carry with themselves, you know, any part of the world, I think that's something that's very important, how you can keep your documents somewhere, you know, very private that you can access, but also like you can use it, you know, because down the road when you're a refugee, you uh, leave everything behind. And even carrying certain documents would be very dangerous for you because then they can identify who you are and that would be uh, a big issue. So that's something that I think a lot, if there are solutions around would be helpful and also in case of finance, again, um, solutions of like if exchanges or any apps or any solution that can help people not only rely on the local exchange, but, you know, like create, you know, a more faster and easier way for them to access the crypto market, but also would be able to cash it out. I mean, right now, if you want to create accounts on different exchanges, the KYC, uh, which is understandable, but it would be very difficult for a lot of people in Afghanistan just because a lot of them don't have proper um, documents and identification. And that's one step that um, won't let them to even create an account, let alone to use that exchange and everything. Yeah, well, that's what I was talking about when I was mentioning blockchain-based identities. But um, have you, like, I, I don't know of any that are... Um, 
kind of in widespread use. Is that, is that something that you've looked into at all? No, to be honest with you, I don't have any knowledge around it. Yeah. I, I, um, so I don't feel like I've heard kind of a lot of, you know, concrete work in that area, but that is something that I think could address these issues that you're discussing as, uh, you know, we've been discussing throughout this interview, there's clearly a lot of sexism and discrimination that you have faced in Afghanistan as a woman. Um, but this is an issue in a lot of parts in the world and here, um, in the U S and just in general, you know, you could say in the Western world, like Europe and, and the U S you know, there aren't as many women in crypto or involved in blockchain technology as there are men. And I just wondered from your experience as a woman in tech in Afghanistan, do you have any advice um, for bringing more women into crypto or advice to women in the field who feel that they're facing sexism and discrimination? Yes. It, it's an interesting question because I can say I got a thick skin now and <laughs> I really like <laughs> don't get bothered, you know, I, I guess it's just like because I went through a lot, but um and I'm generally speaking, I'm a risk taker person. So I kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm just like, go for it. And I, I'm not really like get bothered by all these issues. But what I think from being indifferent, you know, just a refugee, hiding my true identity in, in, in Iran as a refugee, and then a woman in technology in Afghanistan being very outspoken, um, social, which uh, cost me a lot. I think being indifferent, uh, even as like a game woman in a group that they're all men, it's beautiful because you bring a different perspective to everyone else's perspective who is similar. So you have actually way stronger voice rather than the rest of the group. You, you think you are outnumbered, but actually your voice is stronger because your opinion and the value you bring to the table is much more different and might be, you know, things that they've never imagined. So I think if even if you walk in in a room, uh, doesn't matter if it's like a tech meeting, in crypto space, you know, any space that you walk in and you are one of the very few women or the only woman, you should be so proud that you are in that group because those people actually given an opportunity to see a different perspective. So for me, I think uh, you have to just go for it and the, those single number of women in those meetings are actually opening the doors for other women to walk in. So it is an opportunity for us to take it and change the environment. Um, and of course, it's not an easy path. I'm sure a lot of women face a lot of, you know, um, sexism, verbal, sexual harassment and any other uh, backlashes. But I think it's that that I can be the one who can open the door for the rest. I'm sure I'll take it and I'll like lead that path. Earlier in the episode, you said that you had a lot of inspiring stories like that one that you told about the girl. And I wondered if he wanted to share one more. Yes, um, we had one other student that she was working uh, with, uh, you know, with a client here and working on the graphic design. And she was also coming from a challenging financial background, but she was brilliant student, very great graphic designer. And they really liked her work and they picked her for doing the work for for them and she uh, worked um, so good that the client were like, "Oh my God, we are so you know happy with her." And they used to pay her like ten dollar per hour, and then they said, "Now we're going to pay you thirty dollar per hour." And with that money, she used to 
use the laptop that we were giving her to do the work because she didn't have a laptop. She not only makes a lot of good money that she bought a laptop for herself, but also like, you know, paid for the education for the brothers and also helped the families. And that was like, and when she texted to me and she said, I couldn't believe that when I walk into this school, I could make this money uh, and I can buy a laptop for myself and now do the work and help my family. It's just like unreal. And like, that was the whole world to me to see that like her life changed like that. That's so great. I love it. So for listeners who are interested in helping Code to Inspire, uh, where what can they do? Where can they go? We are a nonprofit registered US 501c3. So we are a tax deductible organization, both for, um, you know, um, fiat uh, currency and cryptocurrency. So if they're interested to support us, sponsor students, um, especially with the cash assistance that we are dealing with now or purchasing equipment, um, they can check our website, code to inspire.org, and they can uh, donate to our cause. Beside that, we are looking for people who are interested in what we do right now and care about the future um, of Afghan girls and their education. Um, we would like to have their expertise, as I said, in case of building a virtual system. Um, if they've been teaching coding, use their you know, materials and curriculum. If they are looking to hire our graduates and students, we are happy to have a conversation. Um, so any possibilities, any opportunities that they think would certainly change um, lives and would be really appreciated. So we're very open to have conversations with them. Great. And where can people learn more about you, such as like a Twitter handle or, or something? Yes, uh, my Twitter account, F underscore Farooq. That's my Twitter handle. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on Unchained. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and appreciate that you gave your platform in such a difficult time for Afghanistan to shed some lights and just raise more awareness about what's the current situation and the future for women of Afghanistan. Yeah. And I really wish you and all your uh, students the best of luck navigating this time. And I really hope everything works out the best for all of you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Foreshta and Code to Inspire, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, and Mark Murdoch. Thanks for listening.